Tune in to Pioneers Post podcasts, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. In this edition, Tristan Ace of the British Council, Jonathan Wong of the United Nations SCAP, and Alex Hannan from New Zealand's Akina Foundation explore how governments in the Asia-Pacific region can harness a new entrepreneurial spirit for social change. They also preview this year's Social Enterprise World Forum, which will be held in September in Christchurch, New Zealand. From Seoul to Singapore and from Delhi to Dhaka, governments across Asia are waking up to the role that social enterprise and social impact investment can play in delivering more sustainable and inclusive economic growth. And it's in this context that governments are beginning to reimagine the role that they can play in directing the entrepreneurial spirit and culture that exists in this region towards addressing some of the most pressing challenges faced by the continent through social entrepreneurship. The British Council has been working in this area for a number of years to support this agenda. And today, I'm delighted to have with us two key partners. Firstly, we have Jonathan Wong, who's the Chief of Science, Technology and Innovation with the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for the Asia Pacific, or SCAP, a vast area which is home to two thirds of the world's population and stretches from Russia to New Zealand and from Turkey to the Pacific island of Kiribati. Secondly, we have Alex Hannand, who is the chief executive of the Akina Foundation, which is based in New Zealand. The Akina Foundation are the hosts of this year's Social Enterprise World Forum, one of the key global events in the social enterprise calendar. And it's also worth mentioning that we're all sitting here um, in Bangkok at the Asia Venture Philanthropy Network Conference. So, uh, Jonathan Wong, perhaps you could start by setting the scene for us. What do you think is driving the growth of social enterprise and social impact investing in in the Asia-Pacific region? And I understand that your role is a relatively new role Mm. within the UN as Chief of Science, Technology and Innovation. How how is this agenda um, forming within the UN machinery? Um, So, I'll make two quick points here, actually. I think the first point to reflect on is it was only a year or so ago that the world and the 193 countries of the United Nations signed up to the most ambitious, all-encompassing agenda, which are the Sustainable Development Goals. And they are, one, incredibly ambitious, and two, time-bound. I mean, the ambition is, by 2030, to essentially alleviate world poverty. Now, that's not far away. So, I mean, broadly, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals can be badged into three areas, uh, broadly, people, planet, and prosperity. Tristan, when you're asking what's driving the growth of social enterprise, I I think this imperative um, and the three-dimensional nature of the Sustainable Development Goals fits so beautifully with the concept and theory of social entrepreneurship. I mean, enterprises that create financial return and and create social and environmental impact just fit so neatly in. I think think the challenge is how that theory will will move into practice. I think the second point I would make is is, is around education. I mean, I, I went to business school when I, when I was younger. I won't give away my age. And it's fair to say that when I studied, I studied business um, in, its, in its purest sense. But what we're seeing now, and what's really encouraging, is that in, in many schools and universities around the world, um, young people are learning about social entrepreneurship and, uh, and learning about the value of that. And so two drivers. One is the, the global agenda around the sustainable development goals. And secondly, we're seeing a shift 
in the way that um, young people are addressing or wanting to engage in business. And, and, and that shift is, is driving a, a sea change in, in the role of business in, in, in society. And um, coming to you, Alex Hannant, um, the Akina Foundation um, that, that you lead uh, in New Zealand um, seeks to grow uh, social enterprise in, in New Zealand, but also in, in the wider Pacific region. Um, so how are you seeing um, so the growth of social enterprise in, in, in New Zealand? And what, is, what, what would you say is, are the distinctive characteristics of it? One of the things we're seeing is a lot of noise, a lot of activity, a lot of growth but still a lot of the work being fragmented and, and certainly underserved. You know, there's, there's a sense of real movement, um, but perhaps that's undermined by actually, uh, you know, delivering on the expectations we, we have for social enterprise as a sector at the moment. New Zealand's an interesting place. We're a small country, which on, on one hand um, enables things to, to move very, very quickly, but our distance from the rest of the world sometimes means we get left behind. But the fact that we have been unorganised around the support of social enterprise um, up until very recently means that we can piggyback on the work of others who have been going through that process in a more organic basis over the last you know, 10, 15 years or so. And I think so, so rather than trying to build a sector sort of just by learning from mistakes and trying to figure it out from first principles, we actually have the benefit of seeing how others uh, have... Um, you know, start to build sort of the infrastructure around capital, around access to markets, around capability building support, and be able to actually sort of be very intentionally putting those things together. I, I guess the last thing I'd say about New Zealand, which makes it very distinctive, and, and this will come through as a very strong theme in the Social Enterprise World Forum, is the indigenous people of New Zealand, um, the Maori people, have a very strong alignment in terms of value, in terms of community intergenerational responsibility, um, kaitiakitanga, sustainability uh, and stewardship of the environment. And that value set, I think, creates um, a really powerful platform for New Zealand to engage in social enterprise quite intuitively. <clears throat> and um, Alex, can you perhaps ex- expand on where, where, where is it that you're drawing inspiration or e- experience or expertise from um, in the region or is, is it globally? Uh, it would be globally. We're magpies. You know, we really are being very collective around where we see good practice and then thinking about how that works in our specific context. So I don't think it's ever as simple as just sort of grabbing something and plugging it in and hoping it to work. Certainly the work that's been um, led um, in uh, the UK, Scotland specifically, uh, the work in Canada, uh, more closely to us, um, colleagues in Australia, um, in terms of uh, have, have probably, you know, I'm not sure if it works like this, but maybe three to five years ahead in terms of policy development and investment in, in infrastructure. Um, and also a lot from um, the development context. So I think actually probably some of the best practice around social enterprises come from, you know, the international development context rather than the, the, than the, the established markets in many sense. So, so we take all those things and try and figure out, you know, how that plays out for... for and is there a specific example of, of something that you've, that you've adapted or taken um, and, and you can see um, has influenced the, the, the ecosystem in, in New Zealand from another country? Yeah, I'd say specifically around the impact investment piece. In the first wave, if you like, there was like, we need capital, so establish funds. And then this realisation there just wasn't the deal flow to actually, you know, unlock that capital. So we've been far more deliberate in making sure that there is, uh, you know, the supply and demand around investment has to go together. 
and also different types of finance. So not just having growth capital, but having readiness funds. And we've seen that in terms of the investment and contract readiness fund in the UK or uh, the readiness fund that was recently deployed in Australia and has been very effective. So, you know, that kind of more considered approach um, is actually enabling us to, to move forward quicker. And I, I understand that the government in New Zealand has been very supportive of this agenda. You know, government is not you know, one thing. It's a complex bundle of individuals, agendas, interests, departments and, and, and chaos. And so there are definitely a number of advocates within the government that see the value of social enterprise, but there are some ideological barriers and there are some significant coordination barriers. So while there's been a lot of interest, it's been no one's spe uh, specific priority. So quite often, in order to advance the social enterprise agenda, we've really had to uh, wrap it around how it can deliver on existing priorities of government, not expect them to see social, value, uh, social enterprise as something valuable in its own, uh, own uh, sense of that. Interesting. Just picking up on the role of government, John, Jonathan Wong, can you perhaps talk about, a little bit about your experience in talking to governments across the Asia-Pacific region? What, what, what are they saying? What, 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 are they, what, what is their interest in this agenda at the moment? I think it's fair to say that the, the, the perception of government by social entrepreneurs, impact investors, whoever it may be, is that, is that government is slow and bureaucratic and cumbersome for, for all the reasons that Alex, Alex just mentioned there as well. But gov working government's tough. It's like treading through the treacle of bureaucracy sometimes. It's often very necessary bureaucracy. And also you have to ride those various political waves to, to, to kind of push that policy through. So it's very, very tough. And I mean, it's tough starting up a social enterprise, no question. But it's also tough trying to drive this sort of change in government. Uh, and I think really that we need to go more and drill down into the evidence base around how some of these very innovative and experimental policies that are happening all around the world, and particularly in Asia, are actually doing. And actually what are the metrics around that to develop some sort of, and I, I hate to use the word, but some sort of playbook. So that as you're a policymaker sat in government, there's an incentive to support social enterprise. Actually, what does that look like in terms of policy? What does it look like in terms of programs? And what are your metrics of success? And I think we're probably at the stage now where we can start drilling down into some of these details a bit more. And I think the conversations we had on Monday at the, uh, at the Asia Policy Forum, and indeed the conversations we'll have at the Social Enterprise World Forum, will ha actually help to push this movement forward and, and build this more into kind of a more established practice so that we can support policymakers to drive these changes through. Coming back to you, Alex, Alex Hannant, and just perhaps sticking with that policy question, you talked about the challenges of engaging policymakers um, in New Zealand and specifically around the perhaps the confusion or uncertainty as to where exactly social enterprise should sit within which ministry. What success have you had so far in engaging New Zealand ministers and what was it that, that they see in, in terms of the, the role that social enterprise can play? So the arguments that we felt actually really uh, got us moving forward, they're specific to New Zealand, but I imagine they do pertain to, to a lot of other governments. I mean, firstly, we were saying social enterprise is a tool to get more people involved in, uh, in productive uh, economic development. So be that remote regions or be it disadvantaged communities, um, really framing social enterprises as uh, a type of uh, development which could address you know, market or systemic failure. And having the evidence of how social enterprises do actually perform in those situations has been really important to that. And that, a lot of that's come from the UK and you know, having sort of developed a better evidence base over time. The, the second thing is around the improvement of public services. Uh, increasing expectations, rising costs, new challenges, 
Governments are, are, are finding, you know, finding it hard to keep up. So social enterprise is a means to, to innovate and deliver better public services. Coming to you, Jonathan Wong, again. Um, looking across the Asia-Pacific region, are, I mean, are those trends um, things that you see in other countries and perhaps in the developing world or are there different issues that social enterprises are addressing in, the, in, in perhaps thinking about the developing world or developing countries in, of East and South Asia particularly? And if there's any examples you can give that, that's moving this agenda forward, that'd be great as well. What attracted me to, to this region and actually making the move from London to Bangkok was was some of the really innovative and experimental policies that are going on in the Asia-Pacific region at the moment. I mean, that's really important. As, as Alex mentioned, you need politicians as opposed to government officials at the very highest level actually bought into this agenda. And, and you look at things like the Impact Investment Council in India, which is chaired by the finance minister. It's really encouraging that, uh, that countries like Pakistan are thinking about social enterprise education. And, and I know there's the and the proposed um, social entrepreneurship uh, centre that they're setting up there, which is really encouraging. But, but I think the most critical thing is, is actually how do you create a market for social enterprises? Uh, and, and again, you're seeing some really interesting policies there. And, and in this example, I would class a social enterprise as not just kind of how people generally perceive a social enterprise as a, as a small startup, but actually corporations as well. So you look at Singapore where they've implemented green procurement policies. So whenever you buy paper from the Singapore government or electronic goods, it all has to be responsibly um, procured uh, and, and sourced by the uh, mostly large corporations who are bidding for the contracts. And, and what I like about that is you're, you're moving this concept of social and environmental value, which are predominantly CSR activities within large corporations, to front and center in their business model. So, so all of a sudden it's kind of okay, if we want to win these contracts from the Singapore government, we've got to think really carefully about um, our supply chains, about our, our carbon footprint, etc. Very sort of strategic, directed, perhaps with some government support and government finance behind it, versus a more market-oriented, uh, market-led approach. How would you characterise some of these trends that you're seeing? And is there a difference between perhaps developing markets in some of the developed economies, smaller countries, enormous, enormous geographies, China, India springs to mind, but you know, markets like Indonesia and Pakistan have, have significant populations as well. I mean, it's, it's a really tough question, but, but I mean, I, I agree with Alex's points. Uh, I, think, I think context is, is everything. Uh, and again, being thematic is quite, um, quite a sensible approach. So I know we've spoken at length, Tristan, about this uh, in looking at Actually, is it, is it too difficult for, to get a government to implement an all-encompassing social enterprise and social investment policy, or do you go for a slice of that? So, for example, I mean, you take India and Bangladesh, which is just a hotbed of, of innovative policies. You've got, you have donor money flowing in there. You've got all, all sorts going on. But then you take somewhere like Central Asia, a region like that, where I'm heading to in, in three weeks' time, where some of the areas you may be focusing on are things like ecotourism. You know, given, given the context of the countries there and, and their level of development and their, 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 where they are on the journey of thinking about social enterprise. So I think it's very much context specific. But in that, in that vein, I, I think, yes, yeah, sometimes a thematic and taking a slice of that and being focused makes a lot more sense, while, while other countries are, are going to be very different. The one thing I'd add there, you know, regardless of the context and what's going to be an appropriate approach, we have to really think about who we build these strategies and systems around. So one of, the, one of the unfortunate things, as soon as power get involved, be it government or big money or big business, 
there can be an overlooking of like, well, actually, we're talking about quite often individuals or fragile organizations who are trying to do incredible things. So any kind of support or infrastructure we develop, we have to put the entrepreneurs and the organizations at the heart of it and think, what, is, what do they need in order to be successful? And so we really got to remember, like, you know, sort of who is the talent here and what are the policies, what are the strategies, what are the systems we're embedding, you know, and are they part of the design conversation? So social enterprise and social impact investment are servants and not masters. Absolutely. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so John, you mentioned a moment ago that you're off to Central Asia um, in, in a couple of weeks. Can you talk a little bit about some of the support that the UN offers to governments to support social enterprise and impact investment in, in the region? The, the UN's interested in this agenda because of, of, of the beautiful th of the theory in many ways. Obviously, the devil is in the detail and in the implementation. The, the, the form that I think our support, um, particularly the partnership we have with you guys, to policymakers will, I think, first be around knowledge sharing. Because uh, as we've mentioned in, uh, during this conversation here, it's incredibly helpful, especially at the early stage of development of this agenda. And we are still at the quite early stages. And I think the second form of support is around some of the technical points. And Alex mentioned certification. I mean, there's a whole range of legal issues around definitions, around the financial side of things as well. So I think really supporting policymakers with with, with, with that more technical support, because they may not have that. It is a new area, as I mentioned. So I think that's what we'll be supporting from there. In terms of what we'd like to achieve with this support, I mean, again, I, I keep saying, and I've said several times, we are at the early stages. And what I would like to come out of this is just a good idea of what policies have worked and haven't and why. Uh, and be able to kind of build that body of evidence so that in X amount of years time, we can speak about social enterprise and impact investment policy with the rigor that macroeconomics economists speak about the, uh, their topic. That, so that's what I'd like to achieve. And of, and of course, I'd like to start to create a movement in the region as well. I mean, innovations often start, I mean, we, we've spoken about the inspiration, getting the uh, politicians on board. Innovation starts with a movement and we have to create that movement and really support that wave and move it forward as well. Thank you. Let's turn our attention to focus a little bit on the Social Enterprise World Forum in, um, in New Zealand, in Christchurch. We're all incredibly excited to be, um, to be coming to join you, Alex, um, in, in New Zealand. And we are, of course, hosting the, the British Council uh, UNESCAP Policy Dialogue in partnership with, um, with the Social Enterprise World Forum this year. It'd be great to hear a little bit about why the Akina Foundation you know, decided to bid to host this year's event. That's a, a clear statement of intent um, from New Zealand, way out in the Asia Pacific, to play that global leadership role in, in, in one of the premier forums for social enterprise. And perhaps a little bit about why Christchurch um, as, as the host city. We wanted to bring something with enough gravity to really convene the people who are doing social enterprise in New Zealand, but also the, all the parties that we have to influence and, and, and increase their commitment to make the sector work. So by bringing a global event, it just raises the profile and it, and it creates momentum and focus to be able to have that kind of discussion, hopefully that catalytic point. So that was the final, you know, like we wanted to bring the World Forum to be a catalytic point for the sector development in New Zealand. Christchurch was a fairly obvious choice for us. Um, so, you know, um, five, six years ago, the, uh, the earthquakes, which basically, you know, sort of 
um, flattened the central Christchurch, and it's been a hugely traumatic experience for the city. But while that trauma has receded, there, it has also given birth to a whole new range of innovation, um, uh, very practically around how people use space in the city, but also culturally. Um, and so um, the opportunity to bring that global event around, again, come to pact social enterprises as a means uh, to an end, you know, so this festival, which is about identity, innovation and impact, to a place which was going through a journey of really rediscovering the city that it wants to be in the future was a, was a natural um, uh, alignment and coming together. And the people of Christchurch have been so enthusiastic to actually host this event, um, and I think that's going to change the quality of the experience. Mm -hmm. You referenced earlier on the, the, the role of community resilience um, and, and, and social enterprise, or the link between the two. Um, you know, given, given the events that took place in, in Christchurch, the earthquakes that you talked about, you know, what role has social enterprise played in rebuilding uh, the city? Well, I'll give you a really specific example. Um, so Cultivate, which is a social enterprise that we've been working for for the last couple of years, the fact there's a lot of now uh, unused space in the CBD, they have um, repurposed a lot of land which would have had commercial use into basically urban farms. And that um, is basically organic, locally produced, fresh food serving a range of sort of cafes in the city. But more importantly, it's actually been used as a way to get um, young people who have been left outside the system back into some kind of support and learning some confidence and skills. So it's a really nice example of how the land has been repurposed, but also given an opportunity to bring some of the younger people that have been traumatised and, and left out of the system, you know, back into something which is part of the community. So those things are where you once saw banks and shopping malls. <laughs> now you'll see orchards and, uh, and uh, you know, and all sorts of sort of weird and wonderful, um, you know, th things like Cultivate. So, and that will be part of the experience that people will get when they, when they come to Christchurch. It's, uh, it, it's, it's quite a unique place now. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, I for one, incredibly excited to to be coming, um, coming down to New Zealand. So tell us, what's going to be distinctive um, about the Social Enterprise World Forum um, in New Zealand? What should visitors expect when they, when they, when they, when they arrive in Christchurch? And, and perhaps where, where, you know, an opportunity for a bit of a plug, where can they find out more about the event? In terms of the design of the event, we literally went out to our whole community, all of our stakeholders, and said, this is coming, what do you want? We feel that we've put the entrepreneurs right at the center of the program and then have invited the rest of the system to come in and join in that festival. But um, as a result, there will be opportunity to hear speakers and panels and the like, but we've actually ended up with a design which is more like a theme park. So there's a, f a formal track, but then there's also t two venues which will be purely sort of applied innovation skills workshops. There'll be um, a track which is um, basically there for open space and for delegates to connect and design their own sessions. Um, and then we've also got the transitional city um, theme, where if you can't be bothered being inside at all, um, you can literally go to a number of sites where there's stuff going on on the ground. So I'd say it's fairly unique that we, we're asking basically all delegates to take responsibility for their own experience and over two and a half days design whatever feels good for them at that time. I think the second point is because we are organising around social enterprise a bit later, we're trying to leapfrog some of the kind of, you know, the tribalism around some of the definition and who's a social enterprise and who not. And we're, we're trying to create a more inclusive agenda. So we're basically saying if you're using business for the purpose of social change, 
you're, in, you're included and you're in the tent. And there were horses for courses in terms of who does what, how, and what organisational forms, but that is less important. The conversation here is about how the hell do we use innovation and business to create um, a safe and just world, which is going to you know, last for a long time. So again, going back to social enterprise is a framing, but the bigger framing here is about who are we, what do we want, how do we get it, um, and, uh, you know, sort of, and how do we sort of uh, ensure that impact is long lasting. So um, uh, yeah, where to, I mean, go to Google, SEWF 2017, and, and you'll get to uh, where you need to be. Um, and you know we're 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 on the home straight now, and we're just you know terribly excited you know to to be welcoming the world. Excellent. And um, a question for both of you, um, perhaps starting with you, Alex. Um, what legacy do you want to leave um, in New Zealand for this event, and perhaps more more, more broadly speaking in the region or even the world um, as well? Seem, seem to be doing things in fours in this conversation, but I'd say there, there, there are four things. One, one that we win the commitment and the momentum to actually push forward a coherent national strategy, you know, so a, a national approach to developing our own sector. And, you know, that's something that we can basically leverage as a result of, you know, having this, you know, really significant event. The second is we have a connected uh, network of leadership within New Zealand. So the people who are, have been taking responsibility to drive this forward are connected, know each other, hopefully trust each other, um, and are, are, are able to, to continue to drive change through, through, those, through that connectivity. Um, the third thing I'd say social enterprise reaches the next you know, group of people. So the people who aren't in the conversation now become aware of it. And that starts, you know, new opportunities and, and you know, uh, in terms of, 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 of making our work bigger. Then lastly, it's like enduring connection with the region. You know, that, um, you know, be that, I mean, we've got this horde of Australians coming over, which I feel <laughs> quite ambivalent about. Um, you know, but, you know, that's, you know, it's really important that we build these personal relationships, um, you know, sort of with um, other people doing the work in the region. You know, this is a global movement and, you know, we want to frame it as such from our point of view. You, um, you mentioned trust there, which I thought was interesting and sort of it, it sort of piqued my interest as, as, as a cultural relations organisation. The British Council's um, remit is to build trust between uh, communities, uh, between different parts of society. Um, and I think that you know, trust um, and social capital are, are, are two of the key, key, key things that, that, drive, um, that drive social enterprise and make it such a powerful force for social change. I couldn't agree more. Uh, trust is so underrated. You know, like, uh, you know, but as an enabler for innovation, I can't think of any other ingredient which is more important. Where there is trust, there's flow, and there's license to be creative. Um, and also the, just the efficiency around trust, if you can work with people in that. You know, so, so having those connections and that level of uh, you know, trust is just essential to actually um, drive in meaningful material change. Okay, thanks for that. Um, so, John, perhaps we can finish off with you. Um, tell us, um, what, what, what legacy would you like um, the Social Enterprise World Forum to leave and, of course, the, this inaugural policy dialogue that, that, that we'll be hosting there as well? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, uh, firstly, no pressure on Alex. It was great last year. <laughs> so no pressure at all. No, no, in, in all seriousness, I, 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 think, I think the first point I raised, uh, I'll raise is what I said earlier around, it, it's how do we create that paradigm shift in how policymakers think about innovation and recognize social enterprise as an equally important actor 
in the ecosystem as, as, as R&D institutions. I think, I think that's going to be critical for us. Uh, and of course, I'm sure they'll all get inspired by, by, by the experiences they have at the Social Enterprise World Forum. I think, I think the legacy, though, is, and, and again, it's, it's been a common theme I've said throughout a lot of my, my answers to, to, to your questions in this conversation, is, is we're, we're still at the early stages in the grand scale of things. And I, and I think actually seeing this as the start, being a global event and catalyzing this movement, particularly in the Pacific region, actually, which is an incredibly important region for the United Nations, is, is one of the legacies that, that, that I think we'll be successful in achieving. Uh, and just, just finally to say, um, we're really thankful to the Arkina Foundation for bringing this kind of global platform to the region uh, for, for, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Pacific is incredibly underserved, has very unique challenges, but has huge potential at the same time. So we're, we're, we're very thankful for you for that. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, thank you both. Um, we'll leave it there as I think we're off now to, um, to, to speak at, res at respective sessions at, at the conference <laughs> here in Bangkok. Um, we look forward to, um, to, to meeting again um, in Christchurch and I hope that many people that are listening to this podcast will also join us there to continue this dialogue. So thank you very much. Cheers, Tristan. Thanks. You've been listening to Global Perspectives on Social Enterprise in partnership with the British Council. Check out the Global Perspectives series of podcasts, films and articles at pioneerspost.com. Tune in to Pioneers Post podcasts, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world.